Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. I think it's an amazing thing that the church and her collective wisdom over the last 2,000 years has given us Peter's first epistle on this Exaudi Sunday, the day when we hear or heard in our gospel lesson about the persecution of the church. Uh, that Jesus said we could expect. The time will come when people will put you out of the synagogues, out of the churches, and that, when they, that they kill you, and that when they kill you, they, are think, uh, they think they are doing God a service. The inspiration that Peter gives in his first epistle to the persecuted Christians is truly divine. It's an inspiration from the Holy Spirit himself, the true comforter. Peter lifts our eyes from the temporary and momentary and relatively light troubles of this world to the greater destiny that our loving Father has prepared for all those who love him. Peter combines the, the loftiest of Christian doctrine with real and everyday moments in the Christian life. Simply, First Peter tells us how to be persecuted. And it makes sense because Peter's first epistle is a letter to a persecuted church. It was written about the year 60 A.D. at the height of the reign of Emperor Nero. Now, whenever I think of Nero, I think of an old piece of anti-malware software on my Windows 98 computer. Nero, the software, was, to, was supposed to purge or destroy any, uh, any viruses or malware on the computer. There's a reason that software was named that. Because the real Nero considered Christianity to be a virus that he had to purge from the Roman Empire. And that's exactly what he did. The history books record that in addition to crucifying Christians and sending, in, sending them into the Colosseum to fight lions, he would also trap Christians in a cage and hang those cages in his garden at night and light them on fire simply so that he would have light for his evening dinner parties. Nero was a despicable tyrant whom the world has yet to produce another to his level. In fact, the persecution was so bad in Rome that the Christians began to sarcastically call Rome Babylon a reference to the worst oppressor that God's people had seen, had faced 700 years before. But the ironic thing about our text today from 1 Peter is that Peter seems to sidestep what we would consider to be the most important things to know if you are persecuted. You know, we tend to value those things that are in the world, and and when we lose those things, when we lose things in this world, our knee-jerk reaction is, is, 
what do we do? Uh, do we fight? How do we get those things back? But Peter's first words here should deflate our inflamed reaction against worldly persecution. Peter says to the Christians scattered in the various districts of the Roman Empire, the end of all things is near. So, have sound judgment and be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. In other words, be sober-minded. Put your present temporal sufferings in the context of eternity. Don't make an idol out of your own suffering or even an idol out of your own misery. That is, don't love the things of this world so that your primary concern is holding on to those things at all costs, even the cost of making your own life an idol. Yes, you might be persecuted. Yes, you might be forced out of your churches. Yes, you might be killed. But there are worse things than even these. And those worse things have already been endured by Jesus. And so this affects what you do when you are persecuted. It means that you do love what you have in the world and, and those around you, those people around you, but you don't love them for their own sake. You love them in Christ. It means that you don't love them because you, you, you can't stand to lose them. You don't want to lose them. And, and that if you would lose them, it means they're lost and you can't love them anymore. So you've got to love them now. Rather, you love them in Christ because you love them in Christ. It means that if and when they get taken away from you, they're not lost because nothing can be lost in Christ. That means that everything you lose in this world for the sake of Jesus isn't lost. Even if your closest family gets taken away from you because of their faith in Jesus, they're not lost because nothing can be lost in Christ. And so you continue loving them even after you can no longer see them in this world. You continue loving them in Christ. And so that means that while your enemies might make you angry because they've taken all these things away from you, you love them too because of Christ. And you love them continually and you pray for them. It means, as Peter says, you are to be hospitable to one another without complaining because your temporal circumstances and temporal comfort aren't worth comparing to the joy to come. We have more opportunities than ever uh, in our day for that, don't we? To go about our vocations without complaining, uh, to submit to the wills and requests of others. Now, Peter goes on. Serve one another, each according to the gift he has received, as good stewards of the many forms of God's grace. If anyone speaks, let him do it as one speaking the messages of God. Later on, Peter will call all Christians priests, the priesthood of all believers, people set aside by God to proclaim his praises, to speak his love to the world. So if we have the opportunity 
to speak to those who may persecute us. We speak to them not as mortal enemies and call down curses on them, but we speak to them God's love. And whatever may happen to us as Christians who faithfully and peacefully go about doing the will of God and hallowing his name, God promises that he will provide strength. There's a verse in Philippians that everyone takes out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And people take this to mean that they have the power to do anything, uh, to go on a diet, uh, to win a soccer game, uh, to run a marathon, or to go into battle uh, against the enemies of God. But really, it means the exact opposite. Now, Peter also, when he's talking about God giving you strength, the strength that God provides is not necessarily the strength to stand up against persecutors. It's the strength to endure persecutors. It's not necessarily the strength to have victory over persecutors, but to remain steadfast in the faith while they have the victory. One of my favorite things, or one of my favorite figures in the history of the Christian church is a man by the name of Polycarp. Weird name, but awesome guy. I know it sounds like a, a multiple fish. Uh, but Polycarp was a disciple of John, the apostle. Uh, so one of the disciples of Jesus had his own disciples, one of them named Polycarp. So Polycarp was in this first generation of Christians after the time of the apostles. And so Polycarp lived not too long after the emperor Nero, while persecution was still a, a, real, a real and major and terrible thing uh, in the church. And he was captured as an old man. And his persecutors, his, his captors, figured that, that well, Polycarp's an old man. Uh, he'll simply deny the faith and, and then just go about living the rest of his days. But Polycarp responded, For 86 years I have been Christ's servant. He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? After more urging to, to reconsider and consider his old age, Polycarp simply responded with boldly stating who he was. He said, I am a Christian. After this, Polycarp was burned at the stake. And legend says that the fire didn't work, so they had to stab him to kill him. But notice that, that, that God doesn't give us the strength to overcome persecution. God didn't give old man Polycarp the strength, a superhuman strength to, to break out of his change and, and have victory over his persecutors, his captors. The strength that he was given was the strength of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the strength to confess his faith even if it meant losing everything. Next Sunday is Pentecost, the day that we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Our pyramids will be red, symbolizing 
the, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Our, our Paschal candle is not lit anymore as we await the fire of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but the red uh, of the pyramids also uh, symbolizes the blood of the martyrs, those who, who are persecuted and killed for their faith, and yet who are given the strength by the Holy Spirit to endure. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, to communicate comfort. Not the, not the comfort that you won't be persecuted or that you won't be killed, but the comfort that while the world is persecuting you, while the world is killing you, you have Christ. You have already died in Christ by your baptism. And because you have already died in Christ, the world can do nothing to you. Because Christ rose, death can't hurt you. It can only bring you to life. Christ's victory over death means that the believer's death is the greatest way that God's glory is shown. Christ takes what, the, what was the devil's greatest weapon, death, and he turns it around and he uses it to mock the devil. Death itself is now the servant of God, and God uses death for his glory. The end of all things is near, Peter says. For us Christians who live between the ascension and the last day, that's a great thing. Our present troubles are not even worth complaining about. Soon heaven will be ours. Our persecution, the loss of our earthly things, even our death, will display the glory of God. To him belong the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was at the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.